0: Hello and welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you here. And as you know, if you've been listening, I'm doing a short series on The Brightness of Stars, which is the third edition of the book coming out in May 2022. And why am I doing this? Because I want to introduce to you uh, the people, some of the people who are taking part in that book. So just to remind you, so I wrote that book about 10 years ago, it, I had no publisher. It was very different times. We didn't have social media. We weren't sharing all of our things. I didn't know anybody with experience like me. And I was really keen to pull together something where people who had experiences like I did, who were just getting on in their lives and were just living their life. I wanted to speak to those people. And so that's why I wrote the book. And it turned out to be a really therapeutic experience. Now we're in 2022 and Routledge are going to be publishing a third edition, which is really exciting. And the third edition is quite different than the first edition. So we have now three sections. So we have the section at the beginning where I share my story and my reflections on my story. In this part two, we have the original contributors who also reflect upon Um, their their original story and then in part three we have new people sharing um, in their own authentic way in their own words in the moment of time that they are in whatever it is that they want to share um, and it is today. I'm with somebody who is in that particular section, and that's Sean. So, welcome, Sean, and thank you so much for popping onto the podcast today. Pleasure, Lisa. It's so good to have you here. And um, now, it's really interesting because um, I'm speaking to people across every decade and um I spoke to our youngest contributor um earlier and I think she's about 23 24 and I'm not going to place an age on you but I would say you are one of the older contributors um and so we have this exciting kind of um series of stories across the decades, across all the different policies, across all the different legislations, across all the different acts that relate to children. And there's something really fascinating about that, um, about that for me. And so I'm really interested, Sean, um, what was it about being involved in the brightness of stars that that drew you in and that made you want to be a part of um, this project?
1: Well, I think uh, you've just touched on it. Really, I mean, it was it was genuinely an honour for you to ask me. Actually, um, I mean, I've been very um, I've been very involved as a at Shauna's age, actually, at at, at twenty three, in um, the fledgling um, the policy um, stuff around uh, being in care, and, and and had been part of setting up a, a national organisation, and I hadn't realised until uh, recently how important that organisation was and the work that I'd done in that organisation in establishing the first policies that ever came uh, out of the care experience community. We didn't call it the community then. Uh, It was the the National Association of Young People in Care. That was the focus. Um, But we were driven by changes that needed to be happening in the care system. We were encouraged by, at the time, um, the the black civil rights movements of of the 60s and 70s uh, gay rights, women's the women's organisations, uh, disability groups. And children's rights sort of seemed to be, you know, the next, the next logical step. And it was because shortly after the work that we did, and apparently we were trailblazers and, um, and that's encouraging to hear, um, you know, uh, we had the UN uh, Convention on, on Children's Rights, which came out in 89, which is becoming very, very important today. Um, so that was my history. I mean, I'd, I'd I'd left most much of that behind me. And um, to answer your question, what drew me back was this sense of community that, that you know that is expressed in this book. And I was first, I first really noticed on on Twitter, and I think you were very early in, in reaching out to me. And we, we just connected, and and that's what happens with people from care experience backgrounds. You know, we kind of connect, um, um, and we kind of know, and and that at my age now um, becomes important to me because I see the sweep of my life, and I see, and and I'm concerned, by the way, about the changes uh, to uh, children's rights and, and and the work that we did back in the day. So I felt I needed to, um, I felt I needed to say something as well. I felt I needed to make it clear to our own community um, that we have this history. Um, I was part of that. And it seems to have been swept away. Um, And my initial talks with you were very much about why that happened and and what we can do about that. Um, And um, that's my cat, by the way. Mm -hmm. And I I am doing something about that with many of the people that are in this book, actually, Um, We do hope to make those changes um, and and bring about a sense of community on a national level. Um, On a personal level, which is where I found myself being guided, gently guided by you, I did have to open up about my own personal history, um, which I was reluctant to do.
0: And I think that is... What's so humbling for me is that people trust trust me, uh, I think because of our shared experience, a very particular experience that's often very misunderstood, to hold stories and honour them and ensure that there is an opportunity for authenticity that is not played around with, manipulated, moved about, but that there is an opportunity to to just show up with where you are at that time. Because one of the things that's really been interesting to me about the book is how how much it's not expected. I don't think it's, it's understood that we change over time. So we change the way we view those experiences over time based on the things that happen to us, that alter the way we see things and I know when I first wrote the book the exposing element for me was that people felt that they knew everything about me there was almost like that misunderstanding that you're sharing a particular part of yourself as you understand it in that moment and that it is subject to change it's like a piece of art once it's there it's there but actually any artist could go back and and change it and update it and put different colours in and um, and, I, and I think what I was really interested with in in terms of asking you to take part was around that understanding that people might not have that there is a history and there's a history of um, involvement from care experienced people in terms of how that has changed and shaped the discourse, along with very persistent researchers, that has added to better legislation and what should create more improved services. And I think we have seen improvements. Um, I'm not sure everyone would agree with me, but I think we have... When I talk to people from every decade, I know we've had improvements. The things that really trouble young people now, some of them are the same, but we don't have those huge historical abuse stories in the same way that we had in the 60s, 70s and 80s. No, and <clears throat>
1: excuse me. no um, we don't, but there are different kinds of um, abuses that are still happening today. Yeah, um, And there are abuses that are happening in separated families. Uh, I think there are huge abuses that in the future we'll look back on this period and go, you know, that was an abuse uh, of, of a children's uh, right to be happy and, and find fulfilment. And I think that's the, the key to this. You know, it is um, a children's rights for me. It's very much a children's rights issue. Still, I believe. I mean, I was shocked when some a, a very young person wrote to me, a uh, direct message wrote uh, about some videos that i made i was also fortunate to i was lucky to be in the right place at the right time i made the very first care videos so i made blackening care speak out these were the very first voices on on video ever for young people in the care system and uh, i wasn't uh, as as uh, as well um you know um i didn't have the ability really at that age to be able to deal with these kinds of heavy stories but i was also very concerned at the time that you see in our in our community story has always been used against people. And our past and what people think of about us in our files and so on has always been a way to 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 reinterpret what we say. And that was very much the case back in my day. So it was very important at that time for people to be very clear about the changes they wanted to see. So in blackening care we see this wonderful poetry and music and creativity within the care community. And we see people being very clear about what their stories mean, about their experiences and what they mean. And it's having that ownership of story that's important, I think. Um, I was really concerned when I got this DM from a young woman who said, I mean, watch those videos, nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, how can you say that nothing has changed? And after all the work that we did, the 89 Act, our community and NAPIC was, was critical in shaping the 1989 Children's Act. I want people to know that. We were the first policymakers. All of the current policies came from our community we created them. I wrote them down in a report called Sharing Care and went to Parliament. Uh, It's important that people understand that we still hold that ability to make those positive changes. Um, Where we see people who are not happy and where we see abuses happening, it it is really up to us, I think now, which is why I'm so involved in this, to be able to support uh, the changes that need to happen. And I also see beyond that, and I don't see that happening in any of the reviews at the moment or any of the policy work, I'm sorry to say, but I also see this as a civil rights issue more than ever now. I actually think that we do need protected characteristics as a community. I think that we should be looking at how we get our community invested in, in its people, its resources, in exactly the same way and with exactly the same arguments around um, other communities, that have been, uh, you know, devastated in the way that we have. We need to be brought together, we need to be invested in, we need a central figurehead, we need a better understanding from the public around stigma. And what I'd, what I'd like to think is that these stories and why people like yourself and I need to step up is we need to show them a different face to the care experience. We need to show people that we're, you know, that we have our, you know, we are a, you know, multifaceted group of people, some very high experienced professionals who've written, you know, in your book, uh, people who've got to the top of their profession, we need to, you know, psychiatrists, you know, we've got global advocates, we've got incredible resource within our community. And then we've got to get to the point where people stop. And I've learned this from young people, we've got to get to the point where we stop allowing other people to do what we need to do, you know, nothing about us without us it absolutely exemplifies the care experience to me so i see this as a really current issue and 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 i think our history is part of that um in terms of the personal story that i had shared with you it became when one shares a personal story especially with and one is much you're much more inclined to do that with another care experienced person so you're absolutely right i mean that and that is key to any review or any other policy group And, and that's what you know they're all getting wrong you've got to have people in there that people will talk to so you get you get really get the gold you know and i think you know the treasure that people can offer you because that's what it is um so you've got to have people in place who can 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 do that you've got to have people who will represent those views as well but ultimately those stories will are are a gift really to people they're an asset and, and people should look at those and go you know what can I. You know, how do I feel about this? What can I learn about this? In my own case, discussing the domestic abuse that happened in my own, with my own family was a very painful experience for me. Probably as painful or worse than growing up in the care system because it involved my children. And to talk about that with you was not something I wanted to do. But I have been active around that and I have made some personal changes to policy um, nationally and locally so that we've got a more uh, less kind of, you know biased view about what domestic abuse means. We've moved on in 10 years. You're absolutely right, things, legislation does change. But I think attitudes are, they're tougher to shift. They are, they, you know, there's historic stigma attached to our community. There's historic notions around disability. There are historic notions around, you know, this. Remember when we used to have those little things outside of chemists, which you used to put money into. That's how people thought about that community. We're in the same position. We need to be on a level playing field with the rest of society. And we can't continue to be looked at in the way that disabled people once were. We are a huge resource. We've got so much going on. We need to invest in our community and we need to see people like yourself, myself and other people uh, being able to represent our community to the best that we can to support younger activists, younger advocates, you know, many of whom I work with and are in your book. So that's my new mission. That's really what I'm about. I would like to think that my own personal story will maybe open up people's ideas around children's rights in domestic abuse settings. We cannot leave, you know, we cannot allow gender bias or any other kind of bias to prevent us from talking directly and listening directly to children. And that is what the UN Convention, you know, says. You know that we should be listening to children. That's what we said in NAPIC in the nineteen eighties. You know that no decision should be made without the direct involvement of a child. You know, and that has shifted. So, in, in many degrees, that historically, sadly, has moved away from where it should be. You know, we should be actioning. They should be actioning. Children should be actioning. Participation doesn't just mean listening. It means allowing that person to take some form of action, you know, their own pathway to improve their situation. In domestic abuse situations, slowly. They've just acknowledged that children can be domestic abuse uh, victims. We need much better work within family courts, uh, within Kafkas. So uh, I think there's a lot to learn from my own personal story and that, um, and that's why I kind of shared it with you. I'm really concerned... Uh, that children should be alienated or separated uh, unfairly, not just within the system, but within our family courts.
0: Listen, Sean, I love speaking to you. I love getting your take on everything. Everyone's going to be really excited about reading your piece now. And you've just spoken so much there and so passionately about some of the things that I really care about, especially reducing stigma, especially stories and how we hold our stories and how we share our stories and the ways that we do that so thank you so much Sean I really appreciate you coming on today and here's to everyone getting a hold of your chapter.
1: Well here's to you and what you're doing Um, and I'm honoured to be in the the third instalment I really appreciate it and um, you know um, what we do uh, as you know as fellow care experienced people um that's that says a lot about us and our belief in our own community so good on you thank you